Welcome to Activate Church Podcast and thanks for listening. We hope this message helps you and we pray that God speaks to you through this week's message. Hope that you have had a great week and in the last week you've had some opportunities, particularly those of you that came out of, got out of your seats and came forwards last week and uh, said, yeah, I feel like God's called me to share uh, the, uh, the gospel with people. And this is what I think. I think that there are some people that are, are gifted, extremely gifted at doing that. But how many of us understand that it's all our responsibility to all share that good news, Yeah. As I, I heard this analogy, you've heard this analogy, but it's a great one. If you had the cure for cancer, why wouldn't you tell someone? And I think that there's something far more significant that takes place in our culture. And uh, I, I think that the gospel is a great message. So, you know, you tell someone, you bring them along. And, uh, and that's a great thing to do. Now, what would you come to expect from a group of people that continued to share the good news? What would you expect? Any, any ideas? Yeah? Grow, yeah, yeah, anything else? I don't know, i tell you what I think. I think that a community that shares a message of life, I think it should grow, and, uh, and, 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 and it does. And, you know, if, if, if a church uh, starts to do this and do it really well, and the church starts to grow, and people are coming in, and it's like, who is this person? Where do they come from? And all the rest of it, right? What do you start to do with a bunch of people when they start to come into the church and you're supposed to look after them? How do you, I mean, how the heck do you just manage that? Well, I'm so glad you asked that. You, you asked me that, right? Yeah, okay. Uh, I'm so glad you asked me that question because actually today is Life Group Sunday. And every year, uh, at least one or two weeks a year, what we do is we, we, we pause to reflect on life groups and the significance of being in a group and being part of a group because I think they're one of the uh, building blocks to community. And I think it's just so important. But don't, I'm not going to tell you about that now because I'm going to spend the next half an hour actually telling you about that. So anyway, uh, if you've got a Bible, who brought a Bible today? Leave your hands up. Who? Wow. Okay. Who, who brought? Who brought an iPhone? Or who brought a phone? Has got? A, has it have a Bible app on it? All right. Cool. So we're just going to count that. We're just going to include you in that. So you have an iPhone. You got a Bible. So all right. If you've got that, you can go to Acts two, verse forty-two. We're going to read through to verse forty-seven. And uh, and if you don't want to do that, let me read to you. It says this: and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. It's a picture of what started to happen in the early church. I'm going to pray and then we're going to get stuck into today. God, we thank you that you're here. And Lord, I don't care how anyone came here today. They're sitting in a seat right now. And they felt like they just made the decision. And yet, God, I know that there's always something more significant that happens when people come to church. And Lord, even though they're just here by chance, or maybe some friend dragged them along, the truth is, God, I think that people are sitting in these seats because you want them to be there, which means there's purpose in it, which means there's a plan here. And God, I pray that as we sit and as we listen, that God, we, we hear what part of your plan is for our lives. 
Lord, I pray that our, spiritually speaking, of course, that our eyes would be open and I pray that our hearts would be open. And God, whether we have preconceived ideas about church or not, I pray that all that gets thrown out the window. And right now we just tune in to you and whatever you want to say. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever gone to uh, some kind of social gathering, like a, a, a crowd or a crowded area or gone out somewhere and been in the midst of a crowd full of people and felt completely alone? I mean completely alone. Have you ever felt that? Some of you are thinking, oh yeah, that's how I feel when I come to church, actually. It's like, it's really kind of funny because you can be in a crowd full of people who are going where you're going, who are doing what you're doing, and yet you can be in the middle of that crowd and feel completely like you're alone. No one knows you. No one's speaking to you. No one's talking to you. You imagine if you go to the football and you have like, you know, all these people on the train and they're all going together. You've got something in common and you get there, but you're completely alone, aren't you? It's so easy to feel like you're completely alone, even when you're surrounded by people. And it's a horrible thing, but it's a true thing. I, I, I used to uh, work in recruitment years ago. And when I did, we had these parties called the quarterlies. Four times a year, we would celebrate how everyone had done and how many. It's a sales job, you know. So if you did really well and your billings were really high, then we would celebrate that. So then everyone would get together and they put a lot of effort into this. And, you know, I mean, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people would just come to these big events and they'd invite their partners. So you get to the door and you, and you go to walk in. And as you step inside the venue, I don't recognize anyone. So this is my experience. So I get in there. I don't recognize anyone. Have you ever like just turned up to a party and you turn up and you go, yeah, man, this is the right address, right? Because you don't know anyone there. And what's the very first thing that you do when you turn up to a place where you don't know anyone? Well, you probably, there's a couple of things you can do. One of the first things you do is probably get out your phone and start to go through Facebook. Because it's less awkward to be busy than it is to be alone. So one of the things you do, you get somewhere and you don't know anyone. Even if you're waiting at the bus stop and there's people around, it's like just slip out the phone and you're just like, no, don't know anyone. And you're slowly moving through the crowd. <laughs> I'm busy. <laughs> I'm busy. Right? Uh, I would love to talk to you, but I have something very engaging happening on Instagram right now. And so you are watching it because you know why? It's awkward to be in a room where there's full of people and you're just standing all by yourself. You feel a little bit weird. You feel a little bit out of place. So easy to happen. But as you're scrolling through and like Instagram or whatever, it is right and you're looking you're scanning the room you're like oh my gosh for the love of God let me find someone that I know so I don't have to be alone and when you find the people that you know really well you're like saved and you go over there and you're like hey how are you you sit down suddenly you feel confident you feel ready you feel like I can do this right because you found a bunch of people that you know it is so easy to be in the middle of a crowd of people. And while there are a crowd of people and you don't know who they are, you can feel completely isolated and completely alone. I'm telling you, loneliness is a real common problem. And I think, to be honest, it's getting worse. I think we live in a culture that, you know, is kind of encouraging people to uh, socialize less. So anything that our culture does when it encourages socializing is probably online or some kind of, you know, it's interaction over the internet. But that's a very, very different thing to actually having contact and connection point with one person, you know. 
There are so many reasons why you can feel isolated. And like you go somewhere and you will notice things about yourself that are different to everyone else. I know this is so true, particularly if you, as you guys start to uh, get older in life, you know, and you know, some of your friends start having kids, you know, and all the rest of it. As they start to have kids, if you don't have kids, you're in a different stage of life. When you're in a different stage of life, you start looking around at the differences between you and everyone else. And suddenly, even though you've been friends with these people before, if they move in a direction or you move in a direction, you can start to feel completely isolated and alone. So I looked up the word lonely to see what it meant. And it says that very thing, isolated. It said, actually, this is what it means to be lonely. This is some of the words that describe that word. Isolated, uh, uh, unpopular was another word. You know, no one wants to be unpopular. People like to be surrounded by friends and, and, and family and that. But it said unpopular. It said a whole bunch of things. It said forsaken. And I thought, forsaken? Jeez, that's a little serious, you know? I mean, I don't know. I felt lonely. I don't know if I've ever felt forsaken. But I mean, I guess it's possible that anyone could feel that way. Now, I tell you all of this because the scripture that we read tonight is actually how the early church began to handle some of the most, out, the most outrageous story you've ever heard, right? Which is that the early church began to grow and began to explode. And you got these disciples in their late 20s. Anybody here in their late 20s? Nope. All right. There you go. Late 20s. couple people. Anne's just put her hand up. Yep. And uh, send me someone at the back. Here's the thing. These guys are in their late 20s and they're, and they're running a church and the church began to grow. So here's what I thought I would do tonight, if it's cool with you. I want to give you a little bit of a history lesson. So you could, because I could just tell you how they handled the, the growth of the church and what they did. But I don't think you're going to get the magnitude of what I'm talking about unless you actually see what it was like when it began to grow. Because what we read tonight comes into play here. So let me read to you. And what I've done is I've gone ahead and I've just summarized uh, the first sort of five chapters of the book of Acts. Now, just as we join in at this part, let me give you the lead into the story. Have you ever heard of Jesus? I just did that to test you. Not one hand went up. That is average, average, okay? All right, so, so, so. All right, so Jesus, right, he dies on the cross. He's buried. Three days later, he's resurrected. Before he goes, he spends a period of time on earth, about 40 days. During that period of time, he speaks to his disciples. People are seeing them. In fact, at one point, he appeared to over 500 people in one moment, right? And, and so Jesus is appearing. Oh, gosh, did I click that? All right, so you guys are going to have to fix that. Um, so, he, so he's appearing to all of these people, okay? And, uh, and, and, he's, and, he's, and he's talking to them and he says to his disciples, listen, I'm about to go to my father. But before I actually do that, here's what I want you to do. I want you to wait for the Holy Spirit to come. Because if you don't wait for the Holy Spirit to come and you go out and you try to preach the gospel, you're probably going to be crushed by what's going to come your way. So he says, stay here, wait for it. So here's where we join in right now. This is what it says, Acts 1, 15. It says that there were 120 believers. 120, a little bit larger than the amount of people that we've got here tonight. 120 believers all in the same place. And they're praying and they're waiting. And then something happens. Peter is, uh, the Holy Spirit comes and fills the room. And the next day, Peter goes out and he decides to preach the gospel. Now, at the time, 
there was a festival on in Jerusalem. So all these people had come into Jerusalem, but they all spoke different languages. They're all still Jewish, but they spoke different languages. So they've all come together. Peter gets up. It's nine in the morning. He starts preaching and the most amazing thing happens. People are listening to the gospel message and they're listening to it in their own language. It's amazing. Some people are walking past and they see someone speaking and getting excited about stuff and they say, man, these guys are drunk. Peter goes, man, it's nine in the morning. We're not drunk, right? This is the gospel message. So he begins to preach. Do you know what happened after that? Acts 2.41 says that the number increased from 120 people on the very first day the gospel was preached to 3,000 people. The church grew from 120 to 3,000 people on the very first day of church. I think that that is, I mean, that's revival. It is breaking out. This is what happens. They keep on preaching the gospel because Peter goes, man, we're on a good thing here. Let's get up and do that again tomorrow. So they get up the next day and they do it. Acts 2.47 says that God added to their number day by day those that were being saved. Even if it was only one person every day, the church is growing by 365 people. What I love is that it doesn't say uh, Sunday by Sunday. It's actually day by day, which kind of tells me that the people are taking responsibility to share that message every day. So we're not just waiting for Sunday. So it keeps on going day by day. Here's what happens next. Peter kept preaching, but you didn't guess that. Acts 4.4 says that 5,000 men believes. Now, ladies, don't hate on me because I didn't write the Bible. I tried to, they didn't let me. And so 5,000 men believes, believed, right? And they didn't count the women and they didn't count the children. So when we say 5,000 men, what we really mean is 15, maybe 15,000 people that believed. The apostles keep praying for boldness because they're being threatened by, by the other religious leaders that are around. They say, you guys have got to stop preaching in Jesus' name, right? So they say, God, give us the boldness to basically ignore everything that those guys just said and keep preaching the gospel. Acts 4.15 says, more than, ever, more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of men and women. Do you know what happens when you begin to use the word multitudes? Do you know why they use that word? Because up until this point, they've said, what, 120? And then there was 3,000? And then there was 5,000? And then they got to a point where the crowd was so large, they could not possibly count all the people that had gathered together. And they're like, you know what? I'm not doing a head count this morning. Let's just say multitudes and leave it at that. And that's exactly what they did. And you know what happened? The apostles got arrested. Because thousands and thousands and thousands of people were becoming Christians. This is how the early church began. It was incredible. Acts 5.28 says that the council, the religious leaders, the Jewish religious you know, council, they came and they accused the apostles and they said, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. Filled Jerusalem. Jerusalem was a city that had about 200,000 people in it. Now, if we say conservatively that they only had half of those people, not filled, but half of those people that decided to become Christians, that means that they grew from being a church of 120 people to a church that would have been somewhere over 100,000 people. This is a massive issue for a bunch of young guys in their 20s like you. Imagine this, right? Suddenly 100,000 people decide, you know what? Uh, we're going to start coming and being part of the church. How do you begin to manage something like that? 
They're not much older than you guys. How do you begin to manage a crowd of 100,000 people? Go to the MCG, right, on grand final day, stand in the middle, spin around. You got some idea of how big the early church really was, the first church. How are they going to manage that? I tell you what, I love the idea of a church that's growing. I love the idea of a church that is, that is growing at this rate. I think that's amazing. But here's the other thing. You got to keep it healthy. Because how many of us understand that, right, you could attract a crowd and a crowd just gets big and expands and everyone's excited. Come on, we're, we're being Christians. Why? I don't know. Everyone's doing it. Come on, let's do this, right? And so the crowd can grow. But if you don't look after those people, the crowd can begin to disappear really, really quickly. Man, the early church, I'm telling you, some of the stuff that would have been attracting them, they were seeing miracles and signs. No one ever really says that they saw a wonder. Have you ever seen a wonder? I don't know. Do you know what that would even look like? Have you ever seen someone point? No, no one sees a wonder. I don't even know what that means, a wonder. You know, it's like, I saw a miracle. Who says I saw a wonder? I don't Anyway, so... So, so who knows what a wonder actually is, right? But this is what they're doing. They're seeing science. They're seeing miracles, apparently wonders as well, right? And, 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 and people are like, oh man, you should have been at church the other day. What happened? Well, uh, I saw a guy get raised from the dead. It was really cool. You should have been there. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. Yeah, guess what? Then a guy got healed and he's, he was blind since birth. And then he opened his eyes and all of this stuff was happening. It's like, how many of us would love to be a a part of a church, right? Where the miracles and signs and wonders like that were happening all the time. Would you, I mean, just to let me know that you're alive, just raise your hand right now and let me know if you would actually like to be a part of a church that was seeing crazy stuff that was happening like that. I tell you what, I would love that. I would love to be a part of church where that was just normal. It's like someone died. It's like, oh, that's so sad. Get them to church. And that would be a really weird thing to do. But, but you know, I would love to be part of a church that had the faith to expect that. And I think that's amazing. But Here's what Jesus actually said. He didn't say, you'll know my church by the signs. He didn't say, you'll know my disciples by the miracles that they perform. In fact, Jesus never said anything like that. But you know what he did say? He said, you'll know my disciples by how they love one another. Building block, the foundation of community, it's not signs and wonders. I mean, I want that stuff too. But I tell you what, it's not signs and wonders. It's how people love each other. It's how they do relationships together. And the, the apostles, they, they, they sing thousands of people, thousands of needs that need to be met. And they're wanting to make sure that people don't feel isolated and no one feels excluded. And I reckon that they were sitting around sort of scratching their heads and going, man, we've got a church of about 100,000 people. What the heck are we going to do with all these people? And one of them might have said something like, oh, wait, P.P. Peter. Man, I got this cool idea. Do you remember that day uh, when we went and we were hanging out with Jesus and he was preaching and teaching and the crowds were loving what he was saying so much that they followed him far, far from, you know, from the village and so forth. Then you remember we were totally stranded and we were like, oh, what are we going to do? And Jesus is like, it's cool. Don't worry about it. I got it. Give me a couple of loaves and fishes, right? You remember that? It's like, yeah, that was such a cool day. Yeah, it was, right? But do you remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, Go and get the people, which is a group of about 5,000, right? Go and get them and make them sit down in groups of 50. Make them all sit down in groups of 50. And after you've got them to separate themselves into smaller groups, right? Then I want you to go and distribute the food to all of them. Now, I think Jesus did this for a really good reason. Because you imagine wandering through a crowd of 5,000 people and trying to make sure if everyone's got enough, And it's almost impossible. 
But you get people and you put them in a group of just 50. Now all they have to worry about is the other 49 people. And it's much easier to make sure once you're in a group of 50 people, it's much easier to make sure that every single one of them has their needs being met than to walk through a crowd and just expect that you're going to make sure that everyone gets food. See, the supply was always there. But until you can identify it, until you can see it, you can't always get the supply into the hands of the person that actually needs it. And so this is what they do. And he says, oh, you remember that, Peter? Peter's like, yeah, 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 this is a great idea. I tell you what, how about we get people into small groups, then let's get them to meet in their houses during the week. And that's a great idea because if we can just put everyone in houses, right, then we can make sure that during the week that all of their needs are being met. And since there's a smaller group of people, that'll probably be a lot easier for us to manage than to just speak to a crowd of 100,000 people. You guys need to know that historically, the church's strategy to care for people has always been small groups. And the reason why I want to tell you that tonight is because that is still the strategy that we have today. And that means that this just isn't a good idea, but this is in fact a biblical idea. This is an idea that has been around for a long time, and we need to get in on what these guys were actually talking about. Acts 5.42 says this, They met day after day in the temple courts and house to house. Temple courts, house to house. Temple courts, if, if, if you look down, they had different purposes to houses. Temple courts is where the crowds would get together. And if you actually go to the places where they would begin to congregate together, the temple courts wasn't like some small courtyard where a group of people could sort of fit in. The temple courts actually could house up to 50,000 people at one time. So if you imagine that all the Christians are coming together, you can't fit them all in. But if you had a church of 100,000 people, you're running two mega church services of 50,000 people each. And then after that, that's, that's Sunday service. And then after that, they get together during the week and they sit down in smaller groups And they begin to break down what the apostles were teaching. And they begin to break bread in their homes. And they begin to have fellowship. And they begin to eat together and talk together. I mean, when you start to switch on to what I'm talking about, man, you see it everywhere. Let me read this to you. Acts 20.20. This is Paul the Apostle. He didn't write it, but this is about him. It says, How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you where in Public, temple courts, and from house to house. It's house to house. Romans 16, 15. Greet the church that meets in their home. Acts 8, 3. But Saul was ravaging the church, entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. House to house. How did he know where to find them? Because they were all meeting together in homes. I'm telling you, since the early church began, they have been meeting together in small groups, in homes and getting together during the week because something significant happens. Small groups make a big community small and it enables a large church to meet the need of individuals. To meet the need of individuals. The church is often just a crowd. You come to church and there's a whole group of people And how many times have you been part of a crowd 
and felt completely isolated. And here's a really sad part is that you can do this at church. You can come to church and you come and you, you sort of say hi to a few people or whatever, if you know them or someone greets you at the door or whatever, right? But you're just part of the crowd. You don't actually know anyone. And even in a church this side, there can, this size, there can be so many needs. I'm telling you right now, here's what I actually believe. I think that everyone's facing a battle that you can't see. I think everyone's got stuff going on in their life. I don't think any of us have got it all completely together. You know, and whether it's financial needs or, or mental health condition or whatever it is, everyone's got needs in their life. How could you possibly address the need if you were just a face, a nameless face in the crowd? How is anyone going to get around you and actually help you and support you? So let me ask you a couple of questions and you see if this resonates with you tonight. Have you ever come to church and as you're on your way in, have you got some very well-dressed, immaculate, beautiful looking people on the door that are greeters and you walk up to the door and they're standing there and they're like, hi, how are you, right? And you're like, hey, I'm good, I'm good. Hello, hello, right, right, right. And you get through the door and you walk through it. Now that's so wonderful that that happened. I'm so glad that we take the time to stop and greet people. But the truth is, is that as you walk through and said, hi, yeah, I'm really good, thanks. The truth is, you're not good at all. You're not good. You have so much junk going on in your life right now that if you took the time to answer that question honestly, that greeter would have to be pulled off the door for a few hours while you begin to pour out your heart about all the kind of crap that's going on in your life. You would have to sit down with them for hours and say, guys, this is really what's happening if you really want to know. But here's the truth. You know that when that person says, how are you? It's a genuine greeting, but they're not expecting you to pour your heart out. So you do the thing that happens so often and you give the automated response, I am doing good, I am very well, and it is an absolute lie. That is not even true. The truth is, is that you had a massive fight with your parents that morning and you still haven't resolved it. You're mad with your brother. You're mad with your sister. Your boss at work is so demanding and you've been asking them to give you better shifts and better hours and they're pressing you and all the rest of it. You just broke up with your boyfriend or you just broke up with your girlfriend and you're an absolute mess. But on the way into church, how are you doing? I'm great. I am so good. Thank you for asking. It is so consistent. Do you remember if some of you guys that went to church when you were kids, do you ever have that? It's like your mom is driving the car and she's like, would you kids just shut up? You know, and it's like, you know, you're just like, oh, in the, in the car, it's like all crazy, right? And then they get out of the car and they close the door and you're like, hi, hi. Now you kids listen to me. You make sure you smile. This is church, all right? And we're going, hello, everybody. <laughs> Smiles. And you know it's not true. And I tell you, this is something, I wish I had said this this morning, right? My mom, she used to do this all the time, right? I tell you another story. My mom was going to hate me, right? When we were kids, this is what she would do. She would be like yelling at us. This is true. She would be yelling at us, right? Saying, you know, stop that. Let go of your brother. Stop choking him. Whatever it is. And then the phone would ring. And she's like, I'm serious. I'm going to be, as soon as I get off the phone, right? Hello. What the heck did you do with my mum? I mean, what is going on here? You were just yelling at me and you got on the phone and you're so nice and polite. 
You know why? Because people sometimes, honestly speaking, they just fake it. They're just fake it. Have you ever come to church and felt completely alone? Have you ever pulled out your iPhone at church just because you're standing by yourself? And you didn't know anyone? You just started scrolling through stuff because you didn't actually want to be alone? Have you ever, ever thought during the week, man, I've got no one to call. I, I've got something serious that's unfolding in my life and I have no one to call right now. I can't call them because if they honestly knew what was going on in my world right now, I don't even know if we'd be friends anymore. They'd probably look at me in a different way and you just have no one to actually be honest with. Have you ever come to church and just felt completely isolated, completely alone? Have you ever just felt really lonely? I tell you what, people feel lonely all the time. And I began to do a little bit of reading, a little bit of research about this. And here's a, f- a few things that I discovered. I read this article and it's on a, it's on a blog site called Life Science. And it's this woman who, who basically summarized the work of a uh, social psychologist. And here's what they discovered. Loneliness can send a person down a path toward bad health. Even more intense loneliness studies have shown. But while some have assumed the culprit was a death of others to remind a person to take care of himself or herself, new research suggests that there's a direct biological link between being lonely and ill health. Loneliness can set into emotion a barrage of negative impacts inside the human body, but with additional social contact, some of the effects can be stopped. John Cassipiopo, whatever his name is, a university, uh, a university of Chicago social psychologist who studies the biological effects of loneliness has found loneliness is tied to the hardening of the arteries, which leads to high blood pressure, inflammation of the body, and even problems with learning and memory. Those who are socially isolated, isolated suffer from higher all-cause mortality and higher rates of cancer, infection, and heart disease. Loneliness raises levels of the circulating stress hormone called cortisol and blood pressure, with one study showing that social isolation can push blood pressure into the danger zone for heart attacks and strokes. Loneliness can destroy the quality of sleep so that a person's sleep is less restorative, both physically and psychologically. I'm telling you right now, you were not created to do life alone. In fact, here is something that God said in the beginning. It's not good for man to be alone. You're not created and designed for isolation. And when you begin to be isolated, when you begin to be lonely, it is not just a mental thing anymore. There is a physiological effect that happens on your body and you start to get sicker the more lonely that you are. And I think this is true is because you are not designed to live life that way. None of that, none of being lonely, none of being isolated is God's plan for your life. Here is God's plan for your life. Are you ready? I don't know everything, but I know this. Don't do it alone. Don't do it alone. You ever watch documentaries? I love watching documentaries. I love watching National Geographic Channel, right? 
And depending on whichever documentary you're watching, you're always going for the other animal. You know, it's like I'm watching a documentary about zebras and I'm like, make sure you get away from those lions. And then I'm watching a documentary about lions and I'm like, you better nail those zebras, you know. You know, make sure you feed your cubs, you know. But I remember one time I was watching this documentary and I was watching it, it was about zebras, right? And, uh, and then, you know, as the documentary is running, the lions begin to move in. I'm like, oh, better watch out for those lions, right? And the lions start to move in. And lions are smart, okay? So they know something. They know that if they just run at the pack, they're going to probably lose. They're not going to get any of them, right? So they're smart. So here's what the lions do. They intentionally begin to separate the pack. And they'll divide it in half and half and half and half until they get to the point that they've got one lonely little old zebra that's all on its own. And when it's completely isolated from all the other lions, that's when the group of them get together, they pounce and they attack. And they begin ripping that thing apart. And here is what's really sad. I have seen that happen to people so many times times in their life because they began to get isolated. They were facing an issue in their life that they didn't think that anyone would understand. So rather than beginning to talk about it in the context of a community that would actually get around them and help them, they begin to separate themselves. Here's what Peter said. Peter said, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Here's what I know to be true, because I've seen it a million times, and you can trust me on this. Before someone gets devoured completely, they become isolated. When I see someone beginning to be isolated, this is what it looks like. It just begins by just attending church three out of four weeks. And then it's less and less and less until eventually, and this doesn't happen to everyone, obviously, but eventually what happens is people just stop coming. They pull away from life groups. They completely detach themselves from all the other social connections that they have to church. And you know what's really sad about this? And let me be honest. When someone begins to make decisions in their life that they know particularly their church friends will disapprove of, they completely shrink back from the community. And when they begin to do that, they begin to isolate themselves. And as they do that, they are setting themselves up to lose. How do I know it? I've actually seen it. I've seen it. I've lived it myself. I've seen it. I've witnessed it so many times. This is not God's plan for your life. Here's God's plan for your life. Get connected to a community of people who love God and they love you. They'll love God and love you. If you're connected to a community of people that love God and love you, that is the best place that you can possibly be. Today, it's Life Group Sunday. It's Life Group Sunday. And so when we have Life Group Sunday, we just pause and reflect on how important it is to actually part, be part of a small group that's going to help you. Do you know, i tell you something right now. 76% of our church is in life groups. If you want to be a leader at Activate Church, you have got to be part of a life group. And we make it mandatory. We say you have to be part of a life group because here's what I know. I know that people that begin to get isolated, particularly when they're serving, they end up getting destroyed. They end up getting picked off. They end up not having the support around them that they need to make it through the next season. Man, I I don't want a church full of people that are isolated. I want a church with a thriving community where people love on each other and they're actually serious about it. It's authentic relationships. And when someone starts to sort of slip up and mess up, instead of actually getting around them and pointing it out and saying, what are you doing? They say, come on. 
Let me help you. You gotta go with the people that are going wherever you're going. Don't do life alone. Don't do life isolated. It's not going to help you in any way, shape or form. It's not for you. Man, I just can't over, I can't over communicate the importance of being part of a community of people that actually love you. Acts 2.46 says this, day by day, attending the temple courts, church, together and breaking bread in their homes, life group. They receive food with glad and generous hearts. And I, I'm, I'm, if you know me, you'll probably know I'm a pretty simple guy. Pretty simple guy. Not looking to make life complicated, not looking to make it too difficult. Here's what I like to do. I just want to do life and have fun. Honestly, I just want to have fun. I want to wake up every day and feel like there's this heavy burden that's on my shoulder and then carry that thing all alone. Feel like there's no one I can talk to, no one I can communicate with. Why would I ever want to do that? That's not me. That's not the life I want. Here is the life that I actually want. I want to do life and have fun. I want to have fun and I want to do life with friends. I want to do life with friends that are headed wherever I'm headed. Because the truth is, you can head in any direction from this moment right now. You can go anywhere. You can go back to your workplace and go with the, wherever they're going. You can go back to, you know, your, your sporting club, whatever sporting club it is, football mates, whatever. And you can go in the direction that they're headed. Or here's what you can do. You can think ahead of time and say, I need to get around a group of people that are going where I actually want to go and predetermine it so it doesn't happen by accident. And then you get with that group and you say, come on guys, let's do this thing called life and let's do it together. So here is what you need to do. You need to devote yourself. That was the very first scripture that I read because the early church, how could they possibly care for 100,000 people? It's really hard to care for people that don't want to be cared for. In fact, it's impossible. I don't even really try because I can't do it. So here's who you can care for. People that volunteer their devotion. People that make a decision and devote themselves. I can't devote anyone. Someone tonight can put your name down for a life group, but you never have to attend. It could just be a name on a paper that we put on our computer system and it says, great, you go to that group, but you don't have to attend. You can be have your name in a life group community and yet at the same time, you can be completely isolated because you just haven't devoted yourself. No one, this is a principle in life. Learn this now, right now. No one can devote you to anything. You can only ever devote yourself. So first thing you need to do is devote yourself. Make a decision. Decide where you want to be. Go with the people that you want to go with and devote yourself. If you're isolated, you need to recognize it. And even as I'm talking tonight, some of you have said, you know what, that's true. I am completely isolated. I stand in crowds of people and we're all together there for the same reason. But the truth is, I'm isolated. Don't be. You don't have to be. You weren't designed to be isolated. You weren't designed to do life alone. So the first thing you've got to do is recognize it. Once you recognize it, you're able to do something about it. Here's what you do. Real simple. Join. You join a group. You put your name down. You join a group. You devote yourself. And after you do that, you begin to connect with people. And here's what happens. The crowd of nameless faces 
that you avoid because you're uncomfortable become people that you know. And once you begin to know people and you begin to connect with them, you have such more meaning in your connections. You have such more uh, fun when you come to church. It's great to see people that you know. And then what happens is you actually begin to grow. Your life grows. You begin to connect. You begin to grow. And stuff begins to happen. I'm telling you, Sunday service, just know this right now. I love Sundays, temple court meetings, fantastic. Would never stop them. It will never replace what a small group can do. Because in a small group, people listen. I can't begin to tell you how many times it's been important for me to get connected into a small group where you sit with people and you say, well, here's the truth. This is what's happening. And they go, we can pray for that. Do you know how many times I've been in a life group situation where somebody has opened up and said something so significant, it's just cut through the whole night and we realise what they've got and we say, we're going to stand with you. We're going to pray with you. And we get back next week and we say, we say, hey, how's that challenge you had last week? And they say, man, I'm still got it. Say, so, well, we're going to keep praying and pray with you. And we're going to pray throughout the week. And it's like, we do that. Why? Because we're part of a community that's devoted to itself. And it's the only way that the church can ever care for you. You ever heard somebody say, oh, I don't know how the church cares for me. Devote yourself. You'll make it a lot easier. I'm just being honest. Is how you're supposed to do it. You got to devote yourself. You got to recognize it. You got to connect. You got to commit. If you're in a life group, turn up. Do it every week. It's only there to help you. Turn up, be a part of it, commit. And here's why you should because you can't do life alone, and neither can anyone else. And you might be, you know, sitting here tonight saying, you know what, I'm handling things fine just the way that I am right now. Yeah? Well, you don't even know what's happening tomorrow because you could wake up tomorrow and have the biggest challenge of your life knocking on your door. And at that point, you'll say, man, I wish I had the people around me now to support me. Plan for that day by being connected now. It just kind of makes sense. It's kind of, I don't know. It's kind of obvious to me. We trust you enjoyed this week's message. For any more information about Activate Church, check out our website, www.activatechurch.com or download our app online and have a great week.